0: Welcome to We've Got Issues. I'm Joshua Holland. This week, we're going to speak with Eric Feigel-Ding. He's an epidemiologist and a kind of public communicator on COVID. Um, But first, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Liz Preza, Alternets Managing Editor. How are you, Liz?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I am uh, hanging in. I'm doing okay in Trump-adjusted terms. Thank you. Yeah. 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 (laughs) What's on your radar this week?
1: Uh well uh David Ferrenhold and Josh Dossi from the Washington Post just put out a, a new story about um President Trump's uh Bedminster New Jersey club somehow incurring one hundred and one million dollars worth of private transactions that they charged to the US Secret Service.
0: Wow, that's that's a huge that's that is a huge amount.
1: Yeah, huge amount and it was uh it was while the property was closed. <laughs> so, <laughs> interesting way to go about
0: it you know i want to say that um i don't remember which demon spawn it was either eric trump or don jr had claimed that they charged um secret service and other support staff 100 bucks a night for their rooms and this is clearly a just another in in a long line of, of huge huge lies right and this has been a consistent thing going on um from the beginning you know there was mike pence stopping off at trump's uh scottish Mm -hmm. property when he was you know which was nowhere near where he was doing business in london or whatever it was and it's just been this consistent thing and then you hear these trumpers like he's he's not even taking a salary well
2: it's funny
1: too because like hotels are you know obviously having a really difficult time most most of them right now
2: yeah yeah they
1: can just yeah. charge $21,800 for a cottage to the Secret Service at Bedminster, apparently.
0: Yeah, even when the place is closed, that's uh, <laughs> remarkable. There's so yeah. much grifting going on. I mean, this is, you know, they, they've they blown through a billion dollars before Labor Day from this campaign. I mean, the, the, people are making bank off of this mm-hmm. this guy. Um, he, he's tucking a lot of it in his own pocket as our advisors, you know, the, all the everybody's everybody's got an angle here.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh what's uh, what else is on on the radar?
0: That was a a prime segue into Giuliani.
1: Yes. Yeah, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs>
0: Speaking of everybody getting an angle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he apparently got PPP for something.
0: He got a massive amount of PPP loans, Um, and this is payroll protection, right? This is payroll protection. He has this business that is – it's a payroll company, and I forget what the figure was. It was like a huge amount of money. Hold on one second. I got this somewhere. Uh he got like three hundred and fifty grand wow. in in pay in payroll loans, but here's the thing: he has no employees.
1: No one on the payroll. There's nobody <laughs> on the payroll except for Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> it
0: seems like it's a shell company, and nobody nobody can quite figure out like what this company is doing. Does it even? Yeah. It's is it a shadow company that was, you know, I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's really weird. But the, yeah, this is bizarre. this stuff is going on. But look, all of this is a natural consequence of the of this Senate Republicans acquitting Donald Trump when he was, um, you know, demonstrably committing serious crimes in office. Because once they did that, you know, there's then he he believes he is above the law and untouchable and unaccountable to Congress. And, you know, he's not wrong. Yeah. And that's that's the thing about impunity is it breeds more lawlessness and he's not wrong. What's going to happen? You know, um, this guy, Chad Wolf, this fascist bastard that he's he's not even the acting Homeland Security uh, secretary. He's the senior official acting, uh, performing the duties. They've made up this weird category, right? He's the senior official uh, performing the duties of the acting secretary, or whatever oh, he is, geez. illegally appointed. And uh, today, we're recording this on Thursday. He just blew off. He just blew off a hearing, a congressional hearing. He had been subpoenaed, and he just ignored the subpoena, didn't show up. Amazing. And what's going to happen? I mean, right. nothing, right? I mean, yeah.
1: And he inst- was supposed to testify too about that, like horrible report that came out about um, forced hysterectomies. Jeez it's like
0: a war crime yeah it's a <laughs> it's genocide i yeah. mean it's genocide so this is a so those listeners who haven't caught this news there was a whistleblower in an ice facility who said that there is this rogue um physician a kind of a mangala type i guess who is just performing forced hysterectomies on all of these so gross. women so it's gross. i mean it's 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 so shocking. I've I've actually reserved been a little reserved on this story because, I uh, you know we need confirmation on this right. one, and and, pe- and people need to go to jail for very very long time if it yeah. is confirmed, right? Agreed. This is a, an extremely serious crime against humanity. It's an extremely serious human rights uh, offense, and it's not that I don't believe it. Believe me, I absolutely believe it, and there have been reports on you know sexual assault in these detention facilities forever for years and years and years. Um but it's such a serious charge,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, that uh I don't know. We we need we need we need an investigation, an a political investigation.
1: Yeah, agree. And if
0: it's and if it's and if it's confirmed that this is what's going on, um you know, people need to go to prison. this, yeah, yeah. this is this is no joke.
1: Well, and, so he he yeah uh, ignored a subpoena, so <laughs> we're not yeah. really going to get any clarification on that matter under oath, at least. So.
0: Yeah, no, we're not. We're not. And um, while we're on that topic, I just wanted to flag a report by the Texas Tribune. Uh, I guess this was came out Tuesday. And I'm going to quote it. the U S government late Monday deported a crucial witness in an ongoing investigation into allegations of sexual assault and harassment at an El Paso immigrant detention center.
1: So gross.
0: So basically they, uh, they allegedly uh, assaulted this woman and got her out of the country before um, she could participate in the investigation into it. And um it's just, it's just crazy. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'll tell you something, Liz. I, I try to remain positive and, and keep a sunny disposition, but this week has been extremely difficult for me and I, and I, I'm having problems finding the language. So let's switch gears a little bit. You've been following, I'm sure the stuff with William Barr. Right. Um, it and, and it reminds me of, of, Chad Wolf's just brazen disregard for congressional oversight. I am at a loss of words because we've said so many times, you know, they're increasingly authoritarian. They've, (laughs) they're leaning into the fascism. It it is hard. They're constantly escalating to a degree that I'm losing ways of, of warning people about these escalations. Let Let me just go through a couple of stories just just thing developments from this week that, that are, are so f- crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. So Bill Bl- Barr blast, he had, I guess, a conference with his, um, with his prosecutors. He accused them of head hunting. He mm-hmm. said that he should yeah, let me quote quote under the law, all prosecutorial power is vested in the attorney general These people are agents of the Attorney General. As I say to FBI agents, whose agent do you think you are? Now, I don't say this in a pompous way, but that is the chain of authority and legitimacy in the Department of Justice. Um, He he said, letting the most junior members set the agenda might be a good philosophy for a Montessori preschool, but it's no way to run a federal agency. Uh Basically, he's defending, and this is preemptive, right? He is creating a defense against charges So he's justifying interfering in cases on a lower level. And you know what? That's a straw man because yes, of course um, the attorney general is within his rights, his or her rights to intervene in cases brought by uh, federal prosecutors, but it's a straw man because what he's doing is he's defending himself obliquely and perhaps preemptive preemptively for interfering specifically in the Roger Storm and Michael Flynn cases and other cases where he has intervened for partisan political reasons. And so what he's saying is, oh, well, I should be able to um, intervene. And and yes, of course, but you're intervening in a corrupt purpose. And that's different. Um, And then so... It, just don't he,
1: call he, him pompous. He's not pompous about it. Oh, God. It. <laughs> you know, just
0: don't call him – I'm yes, I'm a fascist, but I, I'm not a pompous fascist. Right. And by the way, by the way, let's be clear. That guy is fucking pompous also.
1: Yeah, I know. I know he is.
0: Pompous as hell. <laughs> so then he um, – then last week, William Barr told federal prosecutors that they should consider charging rioters. But sedition. Are you
1: sedition,
0: kidding Sedition. Sedition. And sedition, it's like, you're breaking out a hundred year old, you know, yeah. I don't know when the last time someone's been charged with sedition, but it, it means that you're plotting to destroy the United States government or right. take over the United States government. Right. And, you know, some kid throwing a, you know, a rock through a plate glass window calling that sedition is yeah, batshit crazy. And then he threatened to prosecute the mayor of Seattle
1: yep it's it's we're going there we're going full-on fascist it is
0: fucking (laughs) crazy at for for protests right the mayor of seattle um it's just it's it's absolutely crazy and then as if to you know put the icing on the cake um he called Corona's virus lockdowns the greatest intrusion ah, on geez. civil liberties since slavery. And, you know, he, he said, he mocked the idea of um, following science. He, it's just, it's absolutely fucking insane. What's mm-hmm. going on here. Um, meanwhile, you have this guy, Michael Caputo, who I've, I've known for many years, not known personally, but like t- been, Battling, oh. uh, battling on various media for many years, um, the assistant secretary of of HHS for communications, right? He's a PR guy. The guy, he he, he taped a Facebook thing where he was like, "Democrats are gonna, you know." Um, he, he told he told people to collect ammunition. And Mm -hmm. he said, you know, it's all a plot. He said, if the election were held today, Donald Trump would win, but Democrats are not going to, you know, are going to commit a coup d'etat. And I mean, just, just, yeah, it's, I I don't even know how to, how to, what to say about all this stuff. Um, You know, Trump's, I don't know, political guru Roger Stone last week said that they need to go and kill all the Democrats. It's like there's no equ- equivalent of this on the left. Meanwhile, Trump is, you know, putting out all these manipulated videos right. and, and people are paying attention to this. There's, um, you know, all these rumors going around on Facebook and right-wing circles about, like, Antifa burning down Oregon and, and these, all these armed civilian roadblocks, these militia roadblocks have popped up all over Oregon. This is some serious, serious shit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just really, really bad. And let me, um, let me just quote this piece, this very, very um, comforting piece in the daily beast. Oh God. Russian state media is um, – Russia state media, let me find the right thing, is rooting for civil war in America. The worse, the better. Of course. Of course. And this, is, this comes just as – so they're amplifying all of this shit. They're amplifying all the Antifa stuff. They're amplifying all of this. Um, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, testified today at Congress – that Russia is actively interfering in the twenty twenty election primarily to denigrate former Vice President Biden that's a quote uh, surprising. <laughs> it's it's very scary stuff we're yeah. really i mean we're really just it seems like we're teetering on the brink. We really do appear to be teetering on the brink and and yeah. i I should say this I should say this. It is entirely possible that this election will go relatively smoothly, despite all of this. It's so scary, but I I fear, look, I think it's very important for us to warn people about the nightmare scenarios that are possibly ahead of us. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. I think it's very important for people to plan for these things um, and not be caught Unawares. Right. right? Right. But on the other side of that, I do have some concern that our warnings will discourage people and make them think that their votes aren't going to be counted and that there's, you know, they'll just be demoralized. So let me just say that I am incredibly stressed out and I also see a path where Democrats... You know, there are again. There are no surprises. We all see what's coming. People plan. People make a plan to vote. Um, They see it through. There's a very, very high turnout, and we beat Trump by a sufficient margin that the Republican establishment and the and the and the more responsible of the conservative media, not you know, gateway pundit, but Fox News, um, decides. Okay, let's make sure that we have a peaceful transfer of power and we're not going to back Trump's conspiracy theories. And, you know, it goes relatively smoothly. I don't think it's going to be smooth, smooth, but um, I would remind everybody that in 2018, they did their level best to freak out white people. They did their level best to um, tell people that there were caravans of invaders coming to kill their children in their homes And they did their and they did their best to suppress the vote. Right. And what did we do? We just put our heads down and we beat them by 8.8 percentage points. And um, if we if the Democrats win by seven percentage points or something in that neighborhood, I think there's an extremely good chance that um, the Republican Party will not back Trump. Right. and that we will have a relatively relatively smooth election. This is a possibility and a scenario and the best way to make that happen of course is to make a plan to vote, make sure that your friends have a plan to vote yeah. and um and I've said this before if because of where we are if you are not in a high risk group you should at least consider putting on a mask and going and voting in person because mm-hmm. a lot of the likely shenanigans um, or worse, hinge on the idea that Trump will be leading the in person vote on election night and then all of the you know, and then delegitimize counting the, the absentee ballots after that. Right. If 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 Biden is ahead on election night in person by a point and then his one point lead extends to yeah. six or seven point leads, that's a totally different storyline for Trump, yeah. So, um
1: should we end on the positive <laughs> note there?
0: Maybe we should just end on that positive note. Maybe we should. Yeah,
1: I think I think it's a good call to action. Then, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Look, everything could be fine. Everything could be fine. It's extremely scary, um, but if we all do our part, um, you know, we still have uh, uh, we still have a functioning judiciary. The New York Times reported uh, this week that Joe Biden has created a massive legal war room um, with two former solicitors general and hundreds of lawyers and they are gate they're fundraising massive amounts to go fight all these fights in court um we could have a a smooth election if everybody does their part so do your part do your part do your part do your part part. and on that note let's take a quick break and come back with eric feigl ding stay tuned Welcome back. I'm still Joshua Holland. Um, I'm pleased now to welcome Eric Feigel-Ding to the show. Eric is an epidemiologist. He's a senior fellow at Federation of American Scientists, and he's gained a lot of prominence on social media and elsewhere for Um, among other things, raising the alarm about COVID-19 early in late January, and also for being kind of a public communicator on the pandemic, if you will. Since then, Eric, welcome to We've Got Issues.
3: Thanks. Happy to be here.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, Listen, I I wanted to first ask you if you feel that the impact of Trump's early and continuing denial about the severity of the disease. I think it's important to note that it wasn't something that was early and then stopped or was reversed. He is continuing to downplay um, uh, both the threat that it poses. And at this point, he's kind of trying to pretend that we are past the hump um, and that the pandemic is over. Do do you think that the impact of that has been really uh, fully realized by the public?
3: Yeah, I think is downplaying. It's one of those things where he's—it's incredibly, incredibly dangerous and in, incredibly, incredibly like it's—it's it's hard to conceive of how much damage he's done because that's the thing. Uh, if you don't do something, and then you you don't necessarily see what could have been prevented. And I think the vast majority of the 200,000 deaths that we're seeing, the six and a half million cases that we've seen, could have been prevented. I would say more than 90%. And, and because South Korea had their first case the same day that we did, but South Korea has almost no cases anymore and almost no deaths virtually. And in, in terms of, you know, just leadership uh, it's just, had we had more testing, had we had early testing, not just more, had we had more uh, faster lockdowns, contact tracing, you know, almost our entire epidemic could have been prevented and our kids could be back in school. But yeah, here we are
0: yeah i mean a lot of countries are back in school they're opening up uh, returning to normal although some uh israel this week announced a a new lockdown after a surge of cases the thing that i think that is missing you know there was that analysis by i think that they were were they at at stanford a group of, of epidemiologists wrote back in they did a study and they they wrote a piece in the in the new york times got a lot of attention they said well if Donald Trump had acknowledged the severity of this, of this pandemic just two weeks earlier. um, Mm We would have, we would have saved, uh, I think the number was 83% of the deaths through May 3rd. But here's the thing that I think is missing from that kind of direct analysis of, you know, two weeks earlier. It's that. There's a a significant body of data in the political science world about how influential the rhetoric of leaders is Hmm. on people who have an affinity for that leader. And the thing that I think is missing from the conversation is that all of these anti-maskers, all of the people who deny the severity of COVID-19, the people who claim that uh, only 6% of those who died of COVID really died of COVID because they had some other comorbidity. I think all of that, or let's say much of that, could have been ameliorated. You know, we see these videos that go viral of people punching out, you know, store clerks for asking them to wear a mask. Yeah. All of that, um, you know, all of the politicization of it, I think, could have been spared. Um, If Trump had simply said this is a very serious disease and he could have lied about everything else, he could have said he could have lied about doing a great job. He could have blamed it on China. But if he had said this is a if he had said exactly what he had said to Bob Woodward, an elite journalist in private, um, I I think that we wouldn't have all of these. uh, We wouldn't have these governors pushing to reopen prematurely over the advice of public health experts, et cetera, et cetera. It's the broader thing yeah
3: absolutely leadership absolutely matters because this the case of alarmism people say oh no need for alarm we don't want panic no we i've had like discussions with um david wells wells of new york magazine and he's very he's does climate change more but he's very very pro alarmist because raising the alarm is what wakes people up if you don't um, pull the alarm loud enough, you know, especially in January, February, when people were distracted with many other things, impeachment, among other things, then it doesn't turn heads. The, even the media doesn't pay attention. And especially when it comes to Trump, you know, downplaying it, it is just so, so dangerous uh, because now half we have this mask war going on, right? And this, he sets basically the tone of what is considered manly, what is considered kosher, um, you know, and fighting against control, as they say, uh, on the on the right, all that could have been easily, easily avoided if he simply just acknowledged it. And it doesn't cost him anything. I, I don't think it. It would have, you know, you know lockdowns. You can say it costs uh, him his economy, then uh, he hence he didn't want to do it. But in terms of wearing masks or just everyone take this seriously, the virus serious. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask. It could have, it 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 would have been so cheap, and it wouldn't have cost him political capital. But yet here we are. He just doesn't want to admit um, weakness in
0: public. I guess. Yeah, it's um, it's pathological. They're, they're, it's really crazy, and it's hard for me to even wrap my head around these drama queens who are you know, freaking out about wearing a mask, just given that it's, it weighs a half of an ounce, it's absolutely nothing. It's so mm-hmm. such a cheap, easy way to save lives. I mean, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric about sacrifices. Oh, let's, um, you know, compare college football players to uh, troops storming the beaches at Normandy. You know, those people sacrifice a lot. Wearing a mask, it's it's absolutely nothing. And now we're seeing, so 70% of new cases are in red states. Um, and Charles Gaba, who writes about healthcare issues frequently, he has a database. Uh, he finds that in blue count, he's broken down COVID cases by county. And he founds that in Democratic gaunt- counties, because New York's outbreak was so bad, because Houston's outbreak was so bad, because California's outbreak it was so bad, there is still um, a higher rate of positive cases per capita in blue counties, but that ratio has been shifting for like three months. And one of the things that I find striking is that um, last week there was a, a record for new cases in the Midwest. And it's striking to me how you had first uh, a blow up in the East Coast, and then we got, I, I live in, in New York, uh, not in New York City, but outside of New York City. Mm and we got our curve flattened very much so and then the south and the southwest blew up and they've done various mitigation strategies they've seen a decrease in cat and now the midwest is setting records it's yeah it's it's, it's so maddening wackable. that i mean it's like you would think that those people in the rest of the country would have seen the refrigerator trucks pulled up in hospitals in Brooklyn and said to themselves, wow, this could happen. Yeah, here. but
3: Josh, people don't believe something until they see it for themselves. And I think yeah. what happened was New York and California, they were kind of seeded first, right? Uh, because we actually have the genomic epi that their epidemic originally was seeded from Europe. They were seeded first. They had it really bad. But at the same time, when the news media was talking about how bad it was in New York and Boston and New Jersey, there was almost no cases down in Texas, down in Florida. And people, right. you know, I remember conservatives would always comment on my Twitter. it's like, well, our hospital beds are completely empty. It must right. be a hoax because if I don't see it, it's not real. And, and hence, they didn't take it seriously. But New York took it seriously. They ma- everyone knew someone who got sick, maybe have died, hospitalized, and they took it seriously, masked up really well and really tight afterwards because, gosh, you don't want to repeat that again. But uh, the South didn't heed the message, um, and again, you know, Trump didn't help along the way with a lot of Southern conservatives and Southern governors that also pledged fealty to him. Um, you know, downplayed it, did not take it seriously. Because I think part of the story is they didn't see it, they didn't hear it from the leadership, therefore it must not be real.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, really the not hearing it from the leadership is so is so crucial, such a big piece of this. I, you know, I'm not an expert in this. I took a, a class in college on catastrophic infectious disease outbreaks, CEDO's. And one of the things that the, the instructor stressed and the, the course text stressed was that, you know, and I've said this on the show several times, that the the importance of having consistent communications from credible public health experts, communications that are grounded in science, mm-hmm. it's not an ancillary issue in containing a pandemic. It's a central, central key component Because it it leads public to buy into the mitigation measures that are necessary. So it's 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 just it Mm -hmm. keeps coming back to this this real crime that Trump committed. Uh, Let me ask you a question. You're a a Public communicator on this mm-hmm. issue. There's other people, obviously, infectious disease work experts working behind the scenes. Many of them. You're on Twitter. You're talking about this stuff all the time. How much um, are are you facing hostility and and blowback and getting threats and stuff like that? Because we've heard that anecdotally from people.
3: Um. So, you know, in the in the early days, it was really tough. In January, February you know, early March, you know, into mid March before this real when it hit us really, really bad, uh the reality. Um, you know, there was a lot of controversy, a, you know, people saying I was being too sensational, alarmist, attention seeker. Um and, you know, I you know, just so you know, I have a six million person Facebook page that I own and I did never post it any alarmist messages there because I felt like Twitter was the best medium um, to do that. So I wasn't trying to seek any attention whatsoever. And I still rarely post on Facebook uh, these days. And it's just, you know, people thought I was just, you know, I might as well say aliens have landed. Right. Right. In terms of people conceiving a pandemic that we have not uh, seen in over a hundred years. And so there was a bipartisan, let's just say, (laughs) <laughs> blow back early on, um, but I think people can obviously came around, and no one thinks I was exaggerating anymore. I, I, you know, as an epidemiologist and looking at the data, and also getting data um, info from from my some of my peers and relatives in China, it was it was pretty serious in Wuhan. Yeah. But but today, like you know, whenever the hydroxychloroquine um, comes up. You know, in many ways, a lot of the academic scientists kind of shy away because they don't want to be political, and they don't yeah. want to be. They're afraid of trolls and harassers. Like people have tried to hack my emails. They've tried to, uh, you know, do other uh, sketchy things. You know, uh, and trying to like, you know, identity theft me and and all these other things but you know i'm not scared of that per se uh but other people are i have a much thicker skin you know i previously ran for congress um i know how rhetoric it is i know how attacks are and um i i'm not really afraid of trolls per se because i've dealt with them for many years having large facebook pages so yeah. but again i think some people are have the have the thicker skin and guts and willingness to speak out, especially if you remember the, you know, the demon sperm hydroxychloroquine videos. were they came out. I was the only one who debunked it. And, um, I also fought against the pandemic Sinclair media interview that they try to air. Yeah. Um, Of course, lots of trolls come out and trolls are really harassing to a lot of people, but you know, I think, in the political world that we 're in, you have to be able to handle them if you want to be a
0: public spokesperson public yeah. advocate
3: uh, i've um, in the way interviewed lay people will hear
0: i 've interviewed Michael Mann um, from the oh, yeah. University of Pennsylvania, the climatologist several times, and he says the same things he, he you know he he 's urged his colleagues to speak out about the threat of climate change. And he's told me repeatedly that, you know, a lot of them are just like, I can't deal with the blowback. And it's uh, it's insidious to have, um, you know, people who are trying to communicate science uh, to to a lay audience intimidated from the public sphere by these, you know, vicious, vicious trolls. Because, I mean, it is it is. Pretty un, yeah. uncomfortable when you get a a troll storm. God knows I've had them. I've had my share of them. Yeah. Let me yeah, um. Okay. Let me let me switch tax a little bit, but stay in the in a related way. And I, I want to talk about trolling, but this time from Trump and the conservative media. And it gets to a statement that um, Kamala Harris made. She was asked by ABC News whether she would uh, she would get a vaccine that was approved before the election. And she said, and I have the quote here, she said, I, I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump, and it would have to be a credible source of information that confirms the efficacy and the reliability of whatever he's talking about. I will not take his word for it. And, Eric, there was a kind of talking point um, deployed. Trump uh, said later on the week, he said that Harris and, and Joe Biden should, he called for them to immediately apologize for, quote, reckless anti vaccine rhetoric. Uh, and he said that it undermines science. Um, there was a slew of pieces in the conservative media calling them anti vaxxers.
2: Mm. Uh,
3: it's a pretty it's, ridiculous charge.
0: It is, really. You know, clearly.
3: You know the, what everyone thinks. Just so our listeners will understand, there is a now widely regarded, um, you know, a guess that Trump will push a vaccine approval before the election. That's what yes. a lot of people are just openly guessing and assuming will happen. And the thing is, trials are really important, and uh, these phase two trials. A, find out if they work, or, and they have to work sufficiently well enough. There's thresholds. It has to be at least 50%, but also exclude the lower bounds of 30. But And also, it has to be safe enough. And to know it's safe enough, you have to have enough people. So uh, if you try to rush it early, you won't even know it, whether it's safe enough. Like today, they just finally finish enrolling the initial 30,000 people in the um, Pfizer trial. And there's that trial is going to keep going for several months. You're not gonna get right now September 16th. You're not gonna get results by October 16th or even October 25th. Uh, it's it's just too early, um, okay. and so for them to try to roll it out, it's just incredibly incredibly dangerous. And if you if people even Fauci says this by the way, it's not you know Kamala Harris alone. If if you try to rush a vaccine, and a lot of people think it's a, politically motivated, and B, the science is just not there to prove the, the efficacy or safety, then there's going to be way less people willing to take it down the road, right? Because, yes. you know, there's even some estimates, Andy Slavis says, for every, um, you know, 10% of people who not taking it, uh, it could you could honestly mean hundreds of tens or hundreds of thousands of people dying, uh, ultimately, because of people not taking the vaccine, because whether the vaccine is, say, uh, 90% effective and 50% take it versus 50% effective and 90% take it, it's, it's the same. And so if, if people don't take it, it's, it's might as well, you're cutting the uh, effectiveness of the vaccine. And so it's incredibly, incredibly dangerous to seed uncertainty by rushing it. And rushing it is not a subjective thing. There is no way you're going to get full evidence of effic- efficacy and safety by this time next month or even an extra week if they are trying to rush it by then. Um, so you, you you might win the battle by getting a vaccine rush approved, but is it truly safe? And are you going to truly shoot ourselves in the foot in the long run? We might win the battle but lose the war. Um, and that is the main, main worry. So, again, Fauci even says, you know, we need to see the, all the evidence before we approve it. And so I think uh, Kamala Harris was just, um, you know, uh, conveying what Fauci's message is, uh, that yeah, we not, want and one not that's just not Fauci. politically laced.
0: It's not just Fauci either. I mean, uh, uh, scientists, multiple scientists inside and outside the government Absolutely. have— Warned of this. Right. So she was basically just she was summarizing what a lot of scientists are saying. And that's the opposite of anti-vaxxer. Right. Anti-vaxxers eschew scientific opinion. They they question proven, tested, well-established, safe vaccines. That's it. If you're pro science, you're going to believe you're going to believe what the scientists are saying. And Michael Kinch, the director of the Centers for Research, Innovation and Biotechnology and Drug Discovery at uh, Washington University in St. Louis, he he wrote this piece for Stat News and he said, and I'm going to quote this, premature approval of a substandard COVID-19 vaccine could have dire implications and not just for this pandemic. It could harm public health for years, if not generations To come, because you know, undermining trust in vaccines is has has you know major implications for the public acceptance. And you know, we've seen the polling; um, the share of Americans who said that they would take a vaccine has decreased. As Trump has said repeatedly that he thinks that he can get one before the election. I mean, he he is the one who has politicized this.
3: And, yeah, it's, exactly. And um, it's he's the, always the one who's very uh, much about, oh, you know, you know, vaccines. Um, he's been very hand waving. You know, he's been basically against um, childhood vaccine requirements whatsoever in the beginning. So for him to try to take that stance is, is like, oh, really? Uh, yeah, that's the only reaction, because clearly it's a very opportunistic spin. Look, b- between us, obviously, there, we know what is political spin and what is facts and evidence. But the the lay public don't understand that. And they, they see these statements and they don't know the full context of what all medical researchers uh, and other experts are also saying that support what Kamala Harris is saying. And so this is why... You know, this gets to the point of you need an effective messenger for scientists because scientists can mumble all they want within the walls of academia, medical journals, and expert circles, but unless the lay public hears it, it it might as well be one of those, you know, if no one hears it, uh, uh, did it really happen? And this is why it's so important, and that's why I spend so much time on trying to communicate on Twitter and elsewhere in ways that the public can understand Th- that experts are saying this, this agrees with the experts. This is what experts are saying in the CDC. Most of the time they're right, but everyone, every so often they are put putting stuff that's anti-science or not supported by science or politically tainted by the Trump administration. And this is what I think the public needs a good radar of what can we trust and what we can trust. Sometimes CDC but sometimes it's experts and getting that information out. is just so incredibly important.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, it, 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 God, it's so, it's so difficult almost to, to correct the flood of disinformation coming out of the white house and the conservative press. I mean, Trump just in that, he just did a town hall, um, with uh i think it was abc news right. he did a That's town hall right. with a and he he starts talking about you know we're going to get there with herd immunity I he didn't say herd immunity he said herd mentality Sheesh. but he meant herd immunity and if you if you look at what that what that actually means it means 60 or 70 percent of people contracting this illness and um you know millions of deaths so uh, you know it's uh it's just it's every day there's a new there's a new insane thing that you have to push back against um i've taken uh more of your time than you than you you promised um than i than i promised you but let me ask you a final kind of big picture overview question mm-hmm. we are approaching flu season um Schools are opening up. Colleges are opening up. Pac-10 just reversed itself. They're going to play football. Mm. Um, You know, people talk about the second wave, but it seems to me that we haven't gotten control of the first wave. So I'm not sure. We're
3: we're at second peak. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know maybe we will avoid a second wave by just never getting rid of the fur. You know, like it's a, it's not a good way to avoid a second wave. Um, your overview: What do you expect to see in the coming months, and if you want to hazard longer than that?
3: Yeah, I think in the coming months, you know, I think first of all the vaccine is not going to really arrive until summer or fall twenty twenty one for the, for the general public. We might have some early in the winter and spring for healthcare workers on, you know, I think, but, um, you know, for the general public, that's still out of the picture for quite a while. I I think as we enter flu season, there's going to be double epidemics going on and they're very confusing because they're treated very differently, but their symptoms are very similar. Right. And so, you know, it's all the more important to get your flu shot. But uh, I think this winter, we're definitely going to see a resurgence of some sort. And and it's going to be harder to detect. And right now, testing, by the way, is at a two-month low in, in U.S. testing volume. So our cases have dropped, but yeah, our, our testing volume has dropped a lot too. So when, when cases drop at the same time testing volumes drop, I'm not very confident that we truly have such a real drop. And I think we need to innovate better testing. The and the rapid antigen home testing will be really key if we can roll it out. But right now, it's still very limited. The bought bought, U.S. government has bought up all this limited supplies. <sighs> and so it's very frustrating. I, I wish they would speed up the approvals of more of these rapid um, antigen testing. But I think as schools, you know, colleges, they're they're hitting the reality, and and with this NFL reopening, I'm gonna say I'm gonna wager that if I were a betting man, that there will be, just like college campuses that close down again, there will be NFL sports teams that will close down again because of of this um, of COVID. So it, we're going to play whack-a-mole. And, and here's the thing. The U.S. is not like uh, Europe in which has good borders that if they can want to close, they can close their borders. U.S. states can't close our borders. We're a borderless right. country. And think of a ship with 50 holes. Even if we plug 40 holes or 45 holes, we can't bulkhead ourselves off from those compartments that are still leaking. And if we can't do that, then basically the ship will still continue to take on water. The epidemic will keep spreading state to state, even if certain states have really good controls. Well, you just need one sturgis. you just need one, uh, you know, rally, and that spreads the cases all over the country again. And so this is why we're going to play this whack-a-mole for quite a while until we have a consistent national national approach to certain things,
0: yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, interstate things, mask wearing, ventilation standards, standardized, uh, control and public health tracing, but I just don't see us out of it. And I think there's only one reset button and that reset button is November 3rd. Um, because right now, you know, I would love defense production act to be invoked for PPEs instead of sausages and burgers, but that's not happening anytime soon. And there's only one way to force that. So uh, I think the U.S., are st- we're stuck in this purgatory for a while, unfortunately, until a vaccine arrives um, or a new administration arrives that really puts the hammer down on new policies nationwide.
0: Yeah, I mean, even the arrival of a new administration that is going to take a while. Um, I but it's also going to fire up the, um, the the contingent on the right that sees public health measures as an infringement on their freedom. It's going to be even more so when you have a yeah. if you have a democratic administration. I think they the are going to redouble. You
3: know, do you want the freedom to go to bars again? Do you want the freedom to, go to, <laughs> yeah. to, go to sports games again? Do You want the yeah. freedom. <laughs> of not having your kid in this, at home bothering you every other second while you're trying to work it's freedom is a is a relative thing just like you know during the bush days they're saying was well, freedom isn't free right now our freedom really is not free anymore because uh, under this purgatory no one really has true freedom to do what they want
0: yeah i mean look if you're not in a relationship you uh you know it would be nice to get laid <laughs> you need those rapid anti- antigen tests to do that. Um, I want to thank you so much for for taking the time to speak with me. I really do appreciate it. Of course, um, folks. Happy folks, follow Eric on Twitter. I really do. It's at Dr. Eric Ding. Eric Feigl Ding. Thanks again. Thank you so much. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth Preza. You can follow me on Twitter at Joshua Hall and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to thank David Edwards, our producer and engineer, and the good folks at Alternate and Raw Story for supporting the show. Um, I would like to thank all of you good people for tuning in. Uh, Stay safe and uh, try to come up with a plan to vote.
2: Show.